Uh, we'll turn again to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Just a couple of things. It's interesting actually that this week, don't know whether you realized it or not, there's a Jewish festival, a Jewish feast called Tisha B'Av. And it's the days that the Jews fast and mourn the destruction of both their temples. And uh, this particular feast was on Tuesday of the week just past. On Tisha B'Av, five national calamities occurred. It's an amazing thing that has occurred over many, many centuries, this particular holiday. During the time of Moses, Jews in the desert accepted the slanderous report of the ten spies that came out of the Canaan, the ten who reported that they shouldn't go in. And uh, the decree was issued forbidding them to enter the promised land. And that happened on Tisha B'Av. The first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, led by Nebuchadnezzar, on this particular day. 100,000 Jews were slaughtered and they were taken into captivity then into Babylon. And then the second temple was destroyed by the Romans led by Titus and it's amazing the number of Jews they reckon about 2 million Jews died at that time and another million were exiled and that happened on this same day and then there was a revolt against the Roman Emperor Hadrian the Bar Kokhba revolt and it was crushed on this same day, Tisha B'Av. Over 100,000 Jews were slaughtered on that occasion, and that was about 135 AD. And then later the temple area and its surroundings were ploughed under the Roman general Turnus Rufus. Jerusalem was rebuilt as a pagan city and access was forbidden to the Jews. This all happened at the same holiday, Tisha B'Av. Other, other grave misfortunes, I suppose you could call them, uh, throughout Jewish history have occurred on this particular holiday. It's amazing. The Spanish Inquisition culminated with the expulsion of Jews from Spain on Tisha B'Av in 1492. World War One broke out. War broke out on the eve of Tisha B'Av in 1914 when Germany declared war on Russia. German resentment from the war set the stage for the Holocaust. On the eve of Tisha B'Av in 1942 the mass deportation began of Jews from the Warsaw Ghetto en route to Treblinka just an amazing thing all these things that have happened on this particular holiday and the Jews still remember all these things and they did so last Tuesday 
many restrictions, many rituals are around about this particular holiday. How they wash, what clothes they wear. They don't wear leather shoes on this particular day. And only mournful portions and hymns are sung in the synagogue. In fact, in the synagogue, the lights are dimmed and candles are lit. And the cantor, that's the man who leads the the, the synagogue, leads the prayers in a very low, mournful kind of voice. And it reminds them of the divine presence which departed from the holy temple. Ichabod, the glory has departed. The book of Lamentations is read on these occasions. Jeremiah's lament over the destruction of Jerusalem and the first temple. And it's read during this particular feast. Indicating mourning, grief and loss. What an amazing holiday. What an amazing time that all these things happen on the same day. And it's very relevant when we look at uh, Deuteronomy because the Jews had strayed away and have strayed away and are still suffering as a result of having strayed away from the commandments of the Lord. We know that eventually they will be restored during Christ's reign in the millennium. And in that respect, I mentioned something last week. Do you remember I said I hadn't time to read it? And uh, I, I just want to return to that. The fact that Israel were very special to God. They were his beloved people. And he had chosen them. And we saw in chapter 7 and verse 6 that it said, For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. They were special to God. I said we'd look someday at chapter 29 in Deuteronomy. It's going to, we, we laughed about it, we said it's going to take us a while to get there perhaps. But we'll just look at it very briefly, just to remind ourselves what I was going to say last week. And didn't get time to say it. And it was verse 10 of chapter 29. Moses is talking. At the end of this great speech which he gave. Which was the book of Deuteronomy. And he says. Ye stand this day all of you before the Lord your God. With your captains of your tribes. Your elders. And your officers, and with all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and thy stranger that is in thy camp, from the hewer of thy wood to the drawer of thy water, that thou shouldest enter into covenant with the Lord thy God, and into his oath, which the Lord thy God maketh with thee this day. That he may establish thee today for a people unto himself. And that he may be unto thee a God. As he hath said unto thee. And as he hath sworn unto thy fathers. To Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. Neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath. 
But with him that standeth here with us this day before the Lord our God. And also with him that is not here with us this day. What God was saying that he was making this oath and he was swearing this oath. And it wasn't only for the people standing there in front of them that day. It was for the Jewish nation forever. And this is why the doctrine of that the church has replaced Israel is so really repugnant. Replacement theology, a doctrine propagated by many theologians today, would never have been invented if the people realized what this covenant really meant and understood. Bible says, God is not a man that he should lie. He did not tell Abraham that his covenant was forever and then later change his mind and cancels. To even suggest such a thing, I think, is a serious insult to the integrity of the Holy God of Israel. But get back to the point. What we were saying was that these people, the Jews, were very special. We pointed out that we are special to God as well because he sent his son to die for us. But we wondered when we were talking last week, did the Jews perhaps presume on God? And therefore God had to humble them to bring them into his plan which he had for them. God humbled them. So let's read the first few verses of chapter 8 again and then we'll continue with what we have to say today. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee and to know what was in thine heart whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna which thou knewest not neither did thy fathers know that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee neither did thy feet swell these forty years. Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Look back at verse 3. He humbled thee. Well we have seen and we've spoken last week about how God humbled them. And he suffered thee to hunger. He suffered them to hunger. God wanted his beloved people to learn that they must solely rely on him for everything. And we saw last week that God wants us 
to be conformed into the image of his beloved son to become more like Jesus day by day the problem was that his beloved people constantly murmured against him as they went through the wilderness journey they constantly moaned they moaned poor old Moses had a lot to put up with and even though God had redeemed them from bondage they still hankered after the time they were in Egypt but you know their minds played up on them they remembered things in a much more rosy way than they had been when they were in Egypt isn't it amazing how when we think back on, on events and things that are happening uh, we, we, we have a different idea about what they were like I remember down at my grandfather's farm there was a shed and my brother and I used to climb up on this high shed and it was fantastic to be up on the roof of this thing we went back years later the shed was about three feet off the, uh, off the ground our ideas was that it was a huge thing your, your mind plays up on you and you know they said here's what they said they were moaning to Moses and they said when we sat by the flesh pots and when we did eat bread to the full we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic oh it was fantastic but you know if you go back to to, to Exodus chapter 1 here's what you read therefore talking about the Egyptians they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens and the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve them with vigor, rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and in brick and in all manner of service in the field all their service wherein they made them serve was with rigor not much talk about the garlic and the cucumbers and the melons but that's what they seem to remember and you know God I was going to say put up with that he lovingly and patiently worked with them encouraging them to, to try and reach the point where they had to rely on him more and more and they were hungry because there was no food in the desert so he supplied them with manna he says he fed thee with manna which thou knewest not neither did your fathers know now there are many lessons we could learn from manna manna I think meant what is it or something to that effect there are a few points about manna you know manna in the Psalms in Psalms 78 it says man did eat angels food he sent them meat to the full he satisfied all their, their material needs and he sent them angels food there was no food in the wilderness so God sent them angels food and in abundance 
If you go back to Exodus 16, Exodus 16 and verse 15, Exodus 16 and 15, we read about the time that manna was sent. Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating. An omer for every man. It's about two litres, I think. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more and some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathereth much had nothing over, and he that gathereth little had no lack. It was an amazing thing. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Don't keep it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. The same old thing all over again. And some of them left it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was wroth with them. They couldn't hide it because the place stank. <laughs> and they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted, disappeared. And it came to pass that on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man, and all the rulers of the congregation came out and told Moses. And he said unto them, This is that which the Lord hath said, Tomorrow is the day of rest, the holy Sabbath, unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and seethe that ye will seethe. Oil up something and leave it. And that which remaineth, remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning, as Moses said, and it did not stink. Neither was there any worms therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today ye shall not find it in the field. Amazing. The manna was to be collected every morning. None was to remain until the next day. Whatever was collected was sufficient for that person. Miraculously, however, before the Sabbath, on the sixth day, they collected two portions. And that lasted two days. It didn't stink. And then the other thing was, in any case, there was, there was no manna there on the seventh day. God only sent the manna on six days. A wonderful lesson we can learn from the manna. Now there are many lessons we could learn. We'll just pick out a few. We have been given heavenly manna. The word of God is our food, our spiritual food. If we wish to grow spiritually, we must collect the manna of God's word. 
how important it is for each of us to collect the manna to read God's word for ourselves sadly today we see many people who don't eat the manna they, they, for themselves they depend on others to do all the collecting and they sit and listen whereas they need to read the manna for themselves we need to read God's word for ourselves now it's important to listen to what other speakers say or to read books with sound doctrine but it's equally and more important that we read the Bible for ourselves we have to collect the manna for ourselves how precious it is when we read God's word and we come across some verse that speaks to us in the very situation in which we find ourselves because the Bible is a living word it's never the same when we read it because it's living and messages which applied for yesterday will not apply for today but the same verse can speak to us in a different way today than it did speak to us yesterday because it's a living vital word now some who collected may have been young some may have been old some may have been feeble some may have been wealthy some may have been poor some may have been intelligent some may have been not very intelligent but whatever they collected out in the fields the manna was sufficient for their particular need and the word of God is sufficient for every man's need in every circumstance it is good for the intelligent person for the person who perhaps is not so intelligent for the sick and the weak there are messages there for them for the, the, the young for the old the Bible is sufficient for everybody for every aspect of our lives and if we wish to grow in our spiritual life we must feed on the manna of the word of God God reveals himself through his word to those who earnestly seek him those who went out to collect the manna were never disappointed the nourishment was there and they were able to use it those who seek God and read his word will never be disappointed we are never disappointed by him if we earnestly seek him a few verses in, in Lamentations I'll, I'll read them Lamentations chapter 3 verse 22 it says you know, you know these when I read them his compassions fail not they are new every morning great is thy faithfulness the Lord is my portion I thought this was interesting when I was reading it last night the Lord is my portion saith my soul therefore will I hope in him the Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him Lamentations 3 22 to 25 
the Lord is my portion. The people went out and they collected their portion for today. The Lord is my portion. What is my portion for today? And you know portion means. Do you know what it means? My possession. One's possession. What is my possession for today? And the writer says. The Lord is my possession. The Lord is my portion. Isn't that amazing? All in relation to the manna. And do you know what? Something else. The manna did not run out until they reached and had taken possession of the land. Didn't run out until they got into the promised land. It was sufficient for them. And it's sufficient for us until we get to glory. Until we reach our inheritance. But you know sadly. There were Israelites. And in their waywardness. We read that they got tired of the manna. They got tired of the manna. And I'm quite sure. That there were many there. That if there had been other food available. They would have stopped eating the manna. God did send quail. As it happened. You know. Perhaps they said this manna isn't very exciting. But it was the food that God had given. That's the thing. We must feed on the living bread. And feeding on the living bread and drinking at the fountainhead. And whoso drinketh, Jesus said, shall never, never thirst again. And feeding on, on the mountain underneath the cloudless sky. And drinking at the fountain that never shall run dry. I'm feasting of the manna. Of a bountiful supply. For I am dwelling in Cana's land. Beulah land I think it says actually. But I'm feeding on the manna of a bountiful supply. There's a bountiful supply of spiritual food. And it will never run out until I get to heaven. Many today have become offhand and are tired about the truths of Scripture. And they want something new. You know, in Jesus' day, they always wanted a sign. Show us a sign and we'll believe you. That's the way it is with many people today. They want something exciting. Reading the Bible isn't sufficient for them. They want to change things. For instance, I read this week in a statement by a protagonist of the emergent church and here's what he said one of the central concerns of the emergent Christian movement is the desire for their faith community to be all inclusive to welcome the stranger this concern has resulted in high tolerance for people of other faiths emergent Christians have serious doubts about doctrinal ideas which hold that some are in and some are out that is in and out with God they're changing the rules so be careful God's word is forever settled in heaven and he will not change to accommodate 
other theologies, pagan theologies, no matter how well intentioned the followers of these theologies claim to be. Be careful. And now we come to one, perhaps one of the best known verses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. God was humbling them, suffering them to hunger, feeding them with manna, to make them know something vital on a spiritual level. It says in verse 3, to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Man, he was saying, that man has to be totally reliant on God for his spiritual food. As he was supplying their physical food, so they must rely for life on the word of God. For 40 years, they had traversed that great and terrible wilderness. That's what it's called, a great and terrible wilderness. But now, let us move forward through the centuries. Look at Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. I'll read it. Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Our Lord, in the previous chapter, had been baptised in the Jordan by John. God had broken through into time to declare his pleasure of his beloved son. He had said, This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus it says, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And his answers came from the book of Deuteronomy. In each case of the temptations which are recorded, I believe there were other temptations, but the three that were recorded, in each case he answered, it is written. Why the book of Deuteronomy? Well, I suppose throughout the book of Deuteronomy we see the failure of the Israelites to keep God's word. The Jews of our Lord's day were suffering, and they still are for this very reason. They had failed. They had not kept God's covenant. But thankfully, we have in the record of Jesus and his temptation by Satan a wonderful example how we should 
behave in a similar situation by the word of God alone. For 40 years, in that 40 days, 40 days in that great and terrible wilderness, he had lived surrounded by wild beasts, it says. Here, for this perfect man, there was no solace as he stood against Satan's temptations as man. As man. That's important. Standing in a wilderness, and that wilderness around him, the desolation, was evidence of the fall of man. The wild beasts, the barrenness of the the wilderness. You know, he was truly God. His father had declared him so to be. But he answered the temptations of Satan as man. And by ever by the ever living, eternal, powerful word of God. That's what he answered Satan by. He didn't resort to his divinity. He left us an example to follow. Had he used any other means, his divinity, his sonship, anything, if he'd used any of those things to defeat Satan then that would have not left us with such a wonderful example as to how we shall meet temptations. If if we live daily and constantly by feeding on the heavenly manna, the manna of the word, and note it must be every word, every word that proceedeth, from the mouth of God if we do that and also remember God's command that we read a few weeks ago you shall not add anything to it nor take anything away from it and it must be the total complete word from the mouth of God if we do that we live our lives that way then we have the armour to answer Satan when he tempts us you know today we hear too much from the mouth of men let us discard this and in turn hang on to every word from the mouth of God in scripture as I said earlier we have all that man needs for every circumstance of life in everything we have all that is necessary to to defeat the wiles of the evil one the man Christ Jesus defeated Satan by the word and has left us this as an example to follow he did not say in my opinion he did not say I think but what he said was it is written He did not discuss the probabilities or the correctness of the word of God. He said, it is written. We must rely solely on the written word of God. He did not try to score points. He declared the word of God. 
Moving on a little bit, the next verse, verse 4. Thy raiment waxed not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Amazing. That's chapter 8, verse 4 of Deuteronomy. This, this was probably one of the most amazing miracles on their whole walk through the desert. God ensured that his people were clothed against a terrible wilderness and that their feet could traverse the stony path of life in that fierce environment. You know, for us, God has, has done exactly the same. In Revelation 3 and verse 14, we have one of the messages to the churches in Revelation. Revelation 3 and verse 14. A letter to the church in Laodicea. Now, the church in Laodicea is an example of how the church will be in these days. And we can see it very clearly. You can read the, the verses when you go home, but I will refer to them. We have this letter, and it's a picture of the professing church, as I say, in these days. A church that was clothing itself with works. You say, write these things. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot, I would thou was cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. They say, I am rich, increased with goods, have need of nothing, knowest, and yet you don't know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and blind and naked. Here was a church that was self-sufficient, they thought, boasting of its own success, and yet they were blind to their real condition. So God says, I will vomit you. That's the real thing. I'll vomit you out of my mouth. God says to them, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see that's what God wanted them to do they were self-sufficient gold speaks to us of the purity of God's righteousness and white raiment is the clothing with which the believer is fitted to stand before God. Instead of my own filthy righteousness. My righteousness is as filthy rags. But God has provided white raiment for us. The Israelites, their clothes never ran out. The righteousness of God that we receive through Christ Jesus is sufficient. Instead of the filthiness of our own rags. And then he says, I want your eyes to be opened. I want you to see your own condition. God wants our eyes to be cleansed. So that we can see people 
as Jesus sees them. May we be clothed in his righteousness. Then it says, neither did thy foot swell. Oh, we all know about feet swelling up when we go for a walk sometimes. But you know, they walk for 40 years in the same sandals that they started off with. They never wore out and their feet didn't swell. That's a miracle. You know, when old Simeon was handed the Lord Jesus Christ in the temple. Do you remember old Simeon at the temple? He prophesied, he says, about various things. And he said he would give a light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. And he will guide our feet, our feet into the way of peace. As part of the armour of God, we are told that we will have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And that will help us in our fight against Satan. That's part of the armour of God their shoes never wore out if we make sure we use the armour of God part of it is our feet shod with the gospel of peace may we be shod with those with the gospel of peace and our feet be guided into the way of peace let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 5 Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Sonship has always been in the thoughts of God as he deals with Israel and also as he deals with us. God had promised, he said, that he was as a husband to Israel. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 32 says, talking about Israel, not according to the covenant that I make with, made with our fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them. Oh, he treated them so well. And we know that the church is the bride of Christ. That's the picture of the church. The picture of the church was, uh, of Israel was that God was their husband. Here we have the picture of the church as the bride of Christ. But God also regarded Israel as his son. And there are amazing verses in Exodus chapter 4. And I'll read them for you. Exodus 4.21 Moses was going up to meet Pharaoh. The very start. Moses was going up and the Lord said unto Moses when thou goest up to return unto Egypt see that thou do all those wonders before Pharaoh which I have put in thine hand but I will harden his heart and he shall not let the people go and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh thus saith the Lord Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse, let him go. Behold, refuse to let him go. Behold, 
I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. Moses had to say that to Pharaoh. We saw a few weeks ago that God desires us, his children, by the new birth, to walk worthy as sons in whom he delights. Therefore he brings in divine chastening that we might be freed from things unsuitable in sons. That we may be like his desire for the church in Laodicea. Partakers of God's holiness clothed in white garments of his righteousness and eyes seeing all those around us as God sees them. That's what he wants us to be like. He wants to see us. He wants us to see that the world around us is full of lost sinners. In a doomed world heading for destruction. Who need to be reached by the gospel of peace.